Welcome back to the Grace 412 podcast. It is Wednesday morning and we are back on track. We have been in this series just for two weeks now since we started uh, a new semester that we're calling Back to the Basics. We are just trying to simplify the way that we see the scripture. There is a time to deep dive into theology. There is a time to get overly practical. There is a time to be relational and to talk through these things. But right now in this season, what we have wanted to do is just go back to some of the the things that maybe we take for granted uh, in our youth group and in our church that maybe we've heard for a long time or maybe we've even said for a long time that we don't fully uh, understand what they mean, that we haven't fully actually uh, studied out in Scripture. And so tonight we are going to talk about one of those simple things called the gospel, What is the gospel? What do we mean when we say the gospel? And before we do that, we really want to just start by asking this this simple question, this simple thought. If you were to find yourself standing before God, and He's holy, He's perfect, He's just, He punishes evil, He rewards good, And he's looking at you, a uh, flawed person, a part of a broken creation that we messed up, that he created perfectly. God's looking at us and he says, why should I not punish you? Why should I want to have a relationship with you? Why should I uh, want to welcome you into the joys of heaven? What are you to say? What am I to say? This is why, this is, this is the only question that matters, that, that question of where will you go when you die? What, do you, what happens in eternity? It, that is the most important question that anyone can answer, and that's why we want to really get an understanding for what we mean when we are talking about the gospel in the context of the Bible, because by the end of this study, I want us to have a perfect and crystal clear picture of what the gospel is, and and that that will help us have a crystal clear picture of what that exchange with God could actually look like. And so the what for this discussion is, what is the gospel? Gospel simply and literally translated just means good news. And so if the word gospel just means good news, the question is more, what do we mean in the biblical context when we say gospel? If you want some clarity, you can go to what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the idea. This is the good news. The Gospels tell the life of Christ, the story of Christ. And that is, in the biblical context, what the Gospel is. Simply put, the Gospel is the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I would even add in there the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the story. This is the good news. Paul makes it even more plain and clear. He makes it as simple as possible in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. He says, I just want to declare this gospel again to you that I preached, and the gospel that is the foundation for your faith now. In verse 2, he says, this is the gospel by which you are saved. He says, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. Verse 3, he says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, or of first importance, that which also I received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. It does not get any more plain and clear than this, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. And then he's going to go on here and in so many other passages to say, so don't let anyone else try to teach you anything else. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the gospel. This is the what that Jesus Christ uh, lived a sinless, perfect life. He was died. He died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. That is the what. That is the gospel. And then we have the why, which is why did this happen? Like what? This doesn't make sense. Why did Jesus die? Why did he need to to sacrifice himself? Why are the wages of sin death? So why part one is the bad news? Why did Jesus need to live, die, be buried, and rise again? You see that in First Corinthians fifteen, Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15 has about 60 verses of straight-up gospel-centered theology. But in verses 20 through 24, it's, it's most simply put and most clearly defined, where he says this in verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam we all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. The, then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority in power. This is the idea. He says, as in Adam all die. He says, as by Adam came death. Look, Adam and Eve sinned, Genesis uh, chapters 2 and 3. God is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He could not let sin go unpunished. That is, would go against his perfect nature. It would be wrong of him, and God does no wrong. Life was all that we possessed, and so we had to make things right with God. We had to to repay him for the wrong that we had done as a perfect judge. And so with life being all that we possessed, it was all that we could give back to him to make things right. That's why the wages of sin is death, but it was in his grace that he made a way through sacrifice. That's why as in Adam all die, and as in Adam all uh, men came to death, right? That's that's the idea, but in his grace he made a way through sacrifice, and all through the Old Testament you see this picture of the wages of sin being death as, as people are sacrificing animals uh, to, to make atonement for their sins, but even then they were never completely enough to cover sin. It was this temporary payback. It was this temporary um, making right of with God, but ultimately it was more than that. It was pointing us to our greatest need to be saved by God himself. It was pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice that would be made by Jesus. The book of Hebrews talks about how these these temporary sacrifices, they could never fully take away sin. So why the bad news is we are sinners in need of a Savior. This is why Jesus had to come. This is why Jesus had to die because he had to take our punishment. Somebody had to be punished for our sin. Somebody had to pay the price for our sin. In another gospel, the gospel of John chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus was and is God. 
And then it says the word God became flesh. He dwelt among us. And then in verse 29, John sees Jesus uh, coming toward him. And he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This was the idea that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that he was the spotless lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The book of Hebrews talks all about this, that the wrath of God was fully satisfied. He fully punished Jesus for our sin. So why the bad news? We are sinners in need of Savior. But why the good news? Jesus took our place and our punishment. The gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the what. The why is that Jesus took our sin and our punishment, our place and our punishment. He he took it upon himself. He, he became sin who knew no sin so we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and he took the full punishment of our sins upon himself on the cross. This really happened. And for a lot of us, we grew up hearing this story and we've become numb to it. But do we recognize that God actually came to this earth? He actually died on a cross. He actually took our place and our punishment. Do we actually believe this? This is good news because it means we can now have right relationship with God and not a God who is unjust and not a God who is wishy-washy or who just shrugs at sin, but a God who is perfectly just yet perfectly merciful. We who were enemies can now be made part of the family of God. Verse 55, if you go to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of the sin is the law. And then he goes on to say, but but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the law proved to us just how sinful we were, but we now have victory in Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look, God is perfectly just. He could not let our sin slide, and he is perfect and just. So that means he already punished Jesus for my sin, and that is it. We are justified. It means if I believe the gospel, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am restored, I am in right relationship with God. He's not going to punish me for a sin that he has already punished on the cross. And so the last thing is then the how. Like, how do I take this from head to heart? How do I make things right with God? How do I claim Christ's sacrifice on my behalf for myself? Acts chapter 16, in verse 30, uh, it says, What must I do to be saved? And he says in Acts chapter 16, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You say, well, what about getting baptized? What about joining a church? What about doing the right things or saying the right things? Or what about telling others about him? Or what about reading my Bible? I would just point you to the thief on the cross where he just said, hey, Lord, remember me when you were in paradise. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he was saved. Jesus said to him, you will be in paradise with me today. He was redeemed. He was restored. He was made right. Why? Because he put his faith in Jesus. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He believed in Jesus' completed work on the cross. And because of that, God looked at, at this thief as a person who he had already forgiven because of the work of Jesus. So the how is this? How can we be saved? Belief in the completed work of Jesus alone. 
We say this seems too simple. Yeah, that's because we would find a way to mess it up if it were any more complicated. And what's crazy is that we still complicate this. We still mess this up. We still confuse it. It could not be any more plain and simple. It could not be any easier. And we still find ways to make it difficult. But the reality is if any more was required of us, we would think it was our doing. If any more was expected of us, we would think that it was our work. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, we keep going back there. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says, hey, I want to make the gospel plain and clear. Ephesians 1 and 2, you were enemies of Jesus. You were, you, your sin had separated you from a perfect God. He says, but God who is rich in mercy has, has united you together with Christ. And he says, you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. It takes nothing else. He says, it's not of your works because if it was, you could boast. He says, you can't, you can't brag about this. You can't boast about this. You can't make yourself feel better about this. This was a work that Jesus did that God began the good work in you and he has completed the good work in you. So you say, how do I do this? How do I put my faith in Jesus? How do I believe in the completed work of Christ alone? We go to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, and it says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, verse 10, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And look, I'm going to be honest, some of us grew up in the pray this prayer movement or in the raise your hand movement. And so we've kind of, as a youth group and even as a church, steer clear of that because we don't want you to just repeat some words and think that you're saved. We don't want you to just raise your hand and think that you're saved. But that being said, we also don't want you to never say any sort of prayer or never have any sort of salvation moment. And and then when asked your testimony, you doubt your salvation or you don't really know because it's like, well, I've always believed in God. I don't know when I've put my faith in Jesus. So we believe that there's something beautiful and monumental. And I would almost say necessary about praying this this prayer of salvation, going to God and, and at initial confession to him. Romans 9, 10, 9, and 10 to say like, God, I know that I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from you, but I believe that you came in the form of Jesus. You took my punishment on the cross. I believe Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again, and I am trusting in his sacrifice to make me right with you. Only you can save me, and I put my faith in Jesus and him alone. That's why Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. At the end of his time on the cross, Jesus, one of his last words were, it is finished. He already did the work. He was already fully punished for our sin. He already conquered death when he rose from the dead. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all can be made alive in him. If I were to stand before God right now and he said, why should I want to have a relationship with you? Why should I not punish you? You have sinned a lot. He would be right. But I could say to him, look, I put my faith in Jesus and you already punished Jesus. You told me Romans 8 that not, that, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then later in Romans 8, he said that nothing can separate me from God's love in Christ Jesus. I have no other defense, no other argument, no other validation, no other value even. I am just taking you, God, at your word. And that is good news because I would rather trust God than trust myself or any other man every day of the week.
By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And I just encourage us all with two action steps from here. First of all, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, why not believe the good news? Why not receive the free gift of grace that is Jesus? And if you have put your faith in Jesus, why not share the good news? Who is it that you know that needs to hear the life-giving, life-changing message of the gospel? It's good news. Why would we not be excited about it? It's good news. Why would we not want to share it with everyone we encounter? So we're going to go do that. We're going to go back to the basics and just simply tell our story everywhere we go, everyone we meet, that we would be a light for Jesus in this dark world. We're going to pick up next week with what it kind of looks like following salvation to have the Spirit of God in us and and what that even means and how we live in light of these truths. We'll pick up next week with Back to the Basics Part 3. We'll talk to you guys then. 